Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. I'm Charlie Wright, and today is February 27, 2015. We're pleased and honored to be able to talk today with Steve Blumenthal for the second time. Steve is the CEO of Capital Management Group, or CMG. They're headquartered in Philadelphia. But Steve talks to us uh, during their annual management retreat in uh, the ski slopes near Salt Lake City, Utah. Steve, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Hi, Charlie. Thanks. It's good to be with you. And it's great to have you back. So, Steve, again, give us a very short uh, description and background of you and CMG. So we are a registered investment advisor located outside of Philadelphia. Uh, We run and advise roughly $700 million in assets under management. Uh, Been in business since uh, 1992 as, uh, as a firm, and I've been in the investment business since 1984, my early days with uh, Merrill Lynch Institutional. Okay, and, and you're, uh, you, you need to brag about yourself a little more. Tell us about some of the uh, interviews and uh, who you write for. Well, thank you for that, um, <laughs> and I'll try and keep any bragging down to a minimum. So I write for Forbes. I'm a contributing writer, and um, we have a, uh, a blog post that we put out that goes out to 25,000 or so Mostly independent advisors, some individuals. So I spent a lot of time writing frequently in uh, Barron's and uh, um, Bloomberg and uh, Fox News and CNBC and you know that that sort of thing. Well, and I can uh, attest to the quality of uh, On My Radar, which I receive every Friday, which I guess uh, you, you call your blog. And it's very interesting, and I really appreciate your insights and the like, and was very impressed last year when you called uh, very accurately the, uh, the, the decline in the high-yield marketplace. So I, I was impressed with that, Steve. I don't know who you know to be able to tell you that, but uh, uh, you, you did a good job there. Well, thanks. Actually, that's uh, what got me into the business So, uh, in 1992 when I set up uh, Capital Management Group. And we continue to run a high-yield strategy that we trade today. So high-yields trend very predictably, and it is important to be in the uptrend when it's going up and when it starts to turn down to uh, move to something safer like treasury bills. And those sorts of things are relatively predictable. Well, I, I'm glad they've been for you. They haven't always been for me and many other people. So I'm glad uh, that you have that confidence there. So tell us uh, what kind of services CMG offers before we get get into the particular mutual fund or particular uh, strategy we're going to be talking about today. Sure. We run what we call tactical investment strategies. Uh, to put it in layman's term, we're looking at what we would say would be relative strength. So if you're looking at uh, a, a set of assets against um, each other, 
which assets are going up in price, which assets are going down in price. And so price momentum, when you measure these things against things, you can identify where leadership is. And the objective is to position in line with market leadership. Sometimes that leadership isn't making a positive return, uh, but it's not making a significant negative return. So these are strategies that move to put you in line with uh, with the types of uh, assets that are moving up in price. And about how many strategies do you guys manage? Uh, we run overall, in, in the tactical side, we've got three relative strength-based trading strategies. One is for fixed income. One we call our tactical rotation, uh, which looks at uh, six different ETFs, um, and I can give you, we can go deeper into any of that. And then we run what our most popular strategies, what we call our opportunistic all-asset strategy, where we look at roughly, uh, called 100 different mutual funds, and it, it includes uh, sector funds like utilities or REITs, it includes uh, large-cap value funds, it includes small company funds, it includes bonds and funds and all these different things. And what we, when we measure them against each other, we're looking for uh, the, the strongest relative strength, which assets are moving up in price. And how is it we, that, you, that you guys came about in establishing this particular strategy? Again, it's called opportunistic all-asset strategy, which is always a mouthful here. So what, what, what's, yes. uh, what, what was the genesis of uh, your establishing this strategy, Steve? Well, it all began in 1985. I was an institutional broker at Merrill Lynch, and I was working on what is called an options arbitrage desk. And it's a confusing mouthful, and believe me, I didn't know what I was doing fresh out of college at that point and what that was. But I've later since learned. And Drexel Burnham was a big presence in uh, Philadelphia. We, uh, I remember reading in Barron's about two uh, Drexel institutional brokers who left and set up their own money management company. And what they were doing was trading the trends in the high-yield space. So that made a lot of sense to me. For whatever reason, I gravitated, was interested. It might have been uh, the institutional uh, trading desk that I was on at Merrill. I'm not sure what, but I just was glued to it. And what what I found, and I've been trading high yield in its trend. So when once trend begins, you want to, everybody hears, the trend is your friend. You want to be in line with the major trends. And when they turn, you want to get careful. So I guess what started it all was that interest in that particular strategy. And when CMG was formed in 1992, it was on the back of that strategy that I had been running when I was still on the brokerage side of the business. Um, as time has evolved and advanced, we've done a lot of work into uh, understanding, you know, kind of the mathematics of, of things against things. What is showing the strongest relative strength? And, and so it really, it really was born out of uh, that original interest. I see. And, and what kind of connections uh, were provided to you to uh, get the right people on board and the like to do this? Sure. Well, what happens when you get into this space is that um, it's, it's, you need to be very disciplined. So how do you – there's a lot of different ways to, to measure uh, an asset against another asset and decide how to position. Uh, what's fascinating is just the depth of uh, advancements in computing power in technology. We have price histories that go back multiple, multiple years – uh, we can test back hundreds of, you know, 100 years of, of different indices and how they would have performed against different things. And all the academic research that's out there supports that uh, there is price momentum. 
and it is measurable. So the, the next step is, well, how do you run your programs? You either build them yourself or you uh, run them in Excel or a software program like that, or uh, there, there's just a lot of, uh, you know, once you get into this space, there's a lot of different opportunities. Our most popular strategy uh, was evolved when we were, we created our own relative strength groupings of, of uh, funds, mutual funds, these different things that we look at. And the question was, well, how do we run our math? So you do a lot of testing uh, to, to find the robustness of the combinations of things you're comparing against each other. Oh, boy, so to, to long story to your question, one of my favorite people in the world uh, that I met when we were investigating a particular technology we're looking to use uh, is a fellow by the name of Jim Ruff. Uh, Jim is the uh, past president, now retired uh, some seven, eight years from, uh, he ran Oppenheimer Mutual Fund Company. And when I was investigating a particular software we were looking to, to uh, uh, work with, I learned that Jim used this for his own portfolios. So that led to a phone call. We were doing our due diligence, and, and really what it led to is uh, a beautiful friendship. Jim, actually, we fly him out once a year. He's here with us in Park City for our management meeting, and he sits in a room and, and, and knocks our heads together to make sure we're thinking right as we do our planning for the future. But in any event, he's been an int- instrumental part uh, in, in a lot of the things for our growth. Well, that's great to hear. You know, Steve, we're going to stop for just a minute and take a break. You're listening. We're talking with Steve Blumenthal, CEO of Capital Management Group, CMG, out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And you're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. We'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. And now back to Charlie and his guest. So we're talking with Steve Blumenthal, CEO of uh, Capital Management Group, here on Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. So, Steve, let's uh, lift the hood and drill down a little further here on opportunistic all-asset strategy. So this is basically a fund of funds, correct? Correct. Okay, and then you have a potential menu of investments of about, you said, about 100 mutual funds or ETFs. That's correct. Okay, and then you categorize, well, well you, you put those. Now, now, these are equity as well as bond, as well as emerging market, international, commodities, etc., correct? Correct. Okay, including sector funds. Correct. Okay, so these 100 funds, you put them in different channels. Is that not right? That's right. You have about how many channels? Eleven. Okay, so you have 11 channels, and so each channel contains 9 or 10 different mutual funds. And then how does one of those mutual funds rise to the top and be the one selected? So think about it this way. So we, we run 
11 different races. So in, in model number one, we have a collection of, let's say, 10 different types of mutual funds. In that particular model might be a large cap value fund, a mid cap core fund, a balanced fund, a bond fund, a utility fund, or an energy fund. So you put together model one has a collection of a unique set of 10 things. Well, we look back and we do a measurement period. So we, we looking back, let's say the last 30 days, we're, we're looking at these collection of assets against each other and we say, which one is showing the strongest relative strength? We look at the price stream of these different things against each other, much like uh, your kids might play in a soccer tournament. Uh, there's 10 teams in the division, and each team's playing number one. Team one's playing number two, number three, number four. Each play each other, and at the end of that tournament, you know who kind of came in first place, second place, third place. So we're looking for the strongest fund out of that grouping over a measurement period that's defined. So let's just use an example of 30 days. So Model 1 would look back 30 days. It would run this race and this contest against these assets against each other. And we position then for the next roughly 45 to 60 days, sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes a little bit shorter. But let's say that Model 1 decides to hold for the next 60 days at a minimum. So it which one is showing the strongest price leadership? We position to the uh, mutual fund that's showing the strongest price leadership. We hold it for a defined period of time of 60 days. And we end up with one fund uh, out of a portfolio that's going to have 11 different funds in it. Then we move to model number two. And model number two might measure over a period of, let's say, uh, 15 days. Or it might me- model three might measure... Uh, the relative strength over a period of 60 days, you know. So we we stagger the different measurement periods and we stagger the different holding periods so that we end up with a portfolio that that each of the different models have a number of different things that can move to. Sometimes there's always an asset that's doing well, uh, even in very, very difficult bear market periods. So uh, that might be a short-term bond fund. So the overall design is to end up with a diversified portfolio of 11 different positions and that over time, because we're constantly measuring the, uh, the, the, the performance of who's showing the strongest relative strength, we look to have 11 positions. And we, we don't always pick the position that uh, turns out by the time we bought it and then sold it that was the best. But what we found over time is that if we're looking at 10 things in model number one, we're typically in the top roughly 40%. So we, we're typically, uh, in the ranking, uh, the performance was in the top four or five out of the ten funds. And what's important about that is not we're achieving or striving to achieve uh, the being positioned in leadership, but what we, we don't want is to be positioned in that bottom position that's really getting hurt. And that's what we found that it does a really good job with. And what about in bear markets? Can uh, do the, each of these positions, can they go to cash? Yeah, so each model has the option to be able to move to cash, as we defined as, let's say, treasury bills. So we would move to a short-term bond fund. But sometimes it's not necessarily in a, in a stock bear market. Sometimes the best position might be in a, a longer-term government bond fund because that's making money as people are typically flying to get to a point, a position of safety. So uh, oftentimes 
uh, we have the opportunity to be in a position in an asset that can make money when the stock market's declining. Okay, and, and how long has this been uh, been in place? Well, if you look at my friend uh, Jim Ruff, he's been doing this since the uh, the, the mid-1990s. Uh, that actually was a, a key attraction to us uh, when we ultimately decided to use this, this technology. We've been running it for five years. Okay, and in 2008, how basically how when we had the financial meltdown, as well as the dot com bubble in the early 2000s, uh, how how did his his um, perform during the, that time? Uh, generally speaking, well, yeah, no, that's a great question because when when uh, you know we're running all our different strategies and we were investigating this new software to run uh, our things through, I met Jim in uh, it was late 2008 early 2009 and what struck me at first was just how comfortable he was he has a very sizable portion of his retirement funds in this strategy uh and he's and i'm not recommending that for other people but it's comfort he's confident with the process he's done it for such a long period of time and so when i was talking to him he was very calm and, and that was one of my questions jim how did you do and he said i think my worst experience might have been down maybe 10% uh, through some of that crisis, but I've since recovered and I'm into a high. Uh, I think that that's, you know, that, that was attractive to me. Uh, now, he runs a different collection of funds, and his, his models might be a little bit different, but it's still based on the same principles of relative strength. I see. Okay. And, and generally, in the five years that you've had it, uh, relative performance has been basically what in general? Well, I, I think our, our, our long-term numbers are uh, north of 10%. Okay, uh, north of 10%. You mean uh, t- average return of 10% per year? Yes. I see. Okay. And, uh, and what, what's an expectation that someone would have of this kind of strategies? Because often those kinds of you know, tactical-type strategies typically are going to underperform in bull markets and then, and then really show their quality and their worth in bear markets. Well, you, we haven't had a bear market since you have started this strategy. So in bull markets, have you been able to achieve, you know, and, and, and are you satisfied with approximately two-thirds of what the S&P 500 does? Or what kind of standards do you like to compare to? Well, I think that that's a very good. Uh, I think that's a very good guesstimate as to what to expect. Uh, uh, two years ago, in 2013, the uh, S&P was up 33 some odd percent. Our models were up uh, around 20 percent. But what's important to note is that this is a broadly diversified portfolio. Uh, we will have always some allocation to some bonds. So to expect bonds to perform. Uh, the way that the S&P 500 index performs is, is not the right comparison. Uh, I know that often uh, we, we all humans, when the market's turning well, we want 100% of our money to be in the S&P 500 index. But I step back and wonder, well, why didn't we have uh, all of our money in biotech and REITs for the last couple of years instead of the S&P 500 index? Why are we arbitrarily just picking that one asset? And the reason that we do is that we've been trained by Wall Street to benchmark everything we're doing against the S&P 500 index. One of the things that I like to remind investors is that while who knows what the next year to two years is going to bring, I have my guests and so will be the several hundred people that you're going to listen to on CNBC over the course of this next week. But what we can measure 
with a high degree of probability based on where the market valuations are today is what the forward 10-year returns will be. And right now, valuations are the highest levels they've been uh, in some time. We're in the highest quintile. So if you rank the last 100 years and look at where your starting point was, when you buy in when things are richly priced, your forward return is going to be low. And right now, that math says to expect a return in stocks or the S&P of about 4.28%. And if that is an attractive return, then I would say hang on tight. It's going to be a bumpy ride, and I think that's what the investor is going to get over the course of the next 10 years. The problem is, is that along that path, we're going to have another recession. We're going to have another bear market. The market goes down 40% in bear markets. And if that happens just prior to retirement or the need for that money, the ability to recover from a 50% loss takes a 100% gain to get back. The ability to recover from a 10 or 15% decline takes significantly less. A 10% decline, I think you need something like 12% to get back to even. So the math of loss is what I think most people forget to take a look at. So comparing just to the S&P, we broadly diversify for a reason. And if we all knew uh, what, what things were going to be uh, the next year, we'd, we'd put all, or like last year, boy, I would have rather been in utilities, REITs, and biotech than the S&P. Steve, I should have you talk to some of my clients. You just uh, stated that very articulately and did a much better job than I'm sure I do with them. Uh, Steve, let us ask you, in regards to, in particular, the opportunistic all-asset strategy, what keeps you awake at night? Well, I I actually, so I write a lot about this uh, every week in, in On My Radar, and uh, just prior to our call today, I'm finishing up this Friday's piece. What, what keeps me awake at night uh, also gets me in a perverse way very excited in that with valuation so high, with uh, the world messing with, with interest rates the way we are, heck, this week uh, Germany sold uh, out on a five-year uh, German bond offering a negative interest rate. That means you put your money in a German bond and you have to pay Germany for the privilege to do that. We are in highly unusual times that's been inflated by QE. The problem is debt. Uh, I think the crisis starts in Europe first. We are way out over our skis. Um, it's unmanageable. It has to be restructured. We can't do So we have global slowdown, global growth, uh, unusual behavior in intervention by, by central banks that take the risk and skew and hide, I think, to most investors the risk. We will wake up. I think a crisis is coming, but I, I don't want to give the impression of uh, fear. From my world, I look at that as what opportunity does it present and how do we take advantage of it and how do we invest our money today so that we're positioned when the market does correct and there is crisis like happened in 2000 to 2002, like happened in 2007, uh, 8, 9. Those were opportunities from my through the lens that I look at things. Uh, but if you're a buy and holder and you're in the S and P and you're targeted and concentrated in that, I think you're going to get run over by a train. If you are positioned more defensively in an all asset strategy such as this, with risk management practices built into your other core portfolio positions, then you sit in an opportunistic position to be able to act when stocks are in the lowest P.E. valuation levels, and the forward return, instead of being 4%, is going to be 15%. It's going to, but it won't feel like that because it's going to be really a risky in time 
but that's when it's going to be safest to invest. So I think that today, uh, what keeps me up at night is um, I, I think we're running into trouble globally. I think it's going to be a hard one. I think it's going to be like 08. But in that, and in 08 was a lot of opportunity. So I think investors really need to be careful not to chase into the to a market that's done well for five years, largely inflated by global central banks, you know, buying the very markets that, you know, has driven this higher. Steve, uh, very well stated, and we we really appreciate that. Uh, we always like to ask our, uh, our guest, Steve, uh, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Oh, that's great. Well, I'm going to suggest a book uh, called Reminiscence of a Stock Operator. By Jesse Livermore, I, I just um, I just reread it, and it's about a great trader, and it's it talks all about the dynamics of the different players that are involved with the markets, uh, from the banks to uh, you know, global impact, and and, it, and and really it talks about having a, a disciplined way to uh, and a rules based way of investing. He was one of the great traders of all time. So he was. Of the stock operator. And that book was written a long time ago, right? That was written a long time ago. I had a, uh, when I first got into the business with Merrill Lynch, my mentor was a portfolio manager in downtown Philadelphia. He ran the uh, Delaware Fund for Delaware Mutual Fund Company, and he remains a, an important person to me today. And I went into his office and I said, John, John Ray is his name. John, what do I, what do I read? I want to get this. I want to learn. What do I read? He goes, read this book. He was a very analytical kind of guy. Read this book. And I want it back. Reminiscence of the Stock Operator. Great book. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, Steve, what final words do you have for our listeners before we close off here today? You know, I think the big thing is is to uh, be forewarned, be aware of the level of risk. Don't see it from a point of fear, uh, but make sure that you're doing things to put you into a position so that you can take an opportunity, uh, take advantage of the opportunity that's coming. And there's another great opportunity coming. Uh, so, um, you know, get prepared for that. Okay, great, great advice. So how do people find you and CMG? Well, our website is cmgwealth.com, and uh, I would encourage them to give you a call. Uh, if you want to link them to uh, the uh, On My Radar, at the front page of our website, cmgwealth.com, at the bottom you can sign up. The letter's free. Uh, so hopefully uh, there are things in there that can help uh, help you be a better investor. Okay, and anyone who'd like to contact us about CMG, just send us an email at info at strategicinvestorradio.com, and we'd be more than happy to put you in touch with them or to answer any questions you may have. So, Steve, thank you again. We really appreciate hearing from you today. We've been talking with Steve Blumenthal, CEO of Capital Management Group, or CMG, out of Philadelphia, and you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we wish you happy and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. 
PartnerVest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. 